1: Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nellie Galan. Let's get started. Cody Sanchez, I am proud of you in a way that I can't even describe because you and I met in a in, in a moment of, of both our lives that was very interesting. I mean, now in the last, I mean, I've met you. So Is it seven years ago? must be, yeah. 2016, right? Seven years ago. So we're going to go back there in a minute. In in the last seven years, you've built this unbelievable empire and platform, two platforms, contrarian thinking, which I love that you even called it that, Uh, and unconventional acquisitions. I mean, it says everything. It says everything. But I want to go back to when I met you. Because I met you in Texas, uh, when I was touring with my book self made, and Chase had hired me. Oh, yeah, right. Remember, yeah. and I was touring the country with Chase, and I was going to see all of their clients in different cities. And you were there as this young influencer, right? That had been working with that. them. Yeah, you're right. It's true. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I think that was my first ever influence. Like, I didn't know what I was influencing. I didn't know what an influencer was. They found
1: you you online and they said, you know, and and, and they put us together and you were following me that day, right? Yep. And I just have to tell a story because for young people listening, but by the way, you were doing that, but you were already very successful. So let's, you were already very successful. You were schlepping doing that, that event that you really didn't need to do. And then I told you that I was going to go to Miami and I, that I had done a deal with Walmart and that wa- I, I, the, people are going to die when they hear the story that Walmart was going to put my book in Walmart and we were going to, we were going to do books and books, the, the, the bookstore. And then we were going to Walmart. And I told you that the publisher was very unhappy because they didn't think that that was the right place for my book. And I'm like, are they crazy? And you're like, I want to go there and be your assistant and be your intern. I go, what? And you go, yeah, I want to go and hang out with you and be like, so here's this person that's already successful. That's being an influencer, which you really didn't need to be an influencer in that moment. And then tells me she wants to go help me because you wanted to see the whole thing about Walmart. And then let me say that when we went to Miami the books never got to Walmart. The publisher didn't get the books there in time, and you and I schlepped oh over God, all of Miami to get the books into Walmart. Do you remember all this? Yeah, I forgot. Yes,
0: we were wearing our heels. I remember the wedges, the outfits. It was hot. We were... <laughs> I forgot
1: about that, but I knew. I mean, I knew that you were going to be very, very, very successful because that's what it takes, right? Like, yeah, you know. You, you didn't have to do any of that. I mean, later on, I'm like, uh, Cody, what is it that you do? And you go, well, I have I work in investment for, I, for I, I'm, in, I'm in venture capital in Latin America. And I go, and you came to be my schlepper for a couple of days? And you go, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: the cool part was, I think you have the same thing. Like, we don't have a lot of ego when it comes to no. being successful. I'm like, I, well, when I met you, a couple different things. So I was like, holy hell, look at this resume. And then I met you and you were so down to earth, humble, um, normal, funny. And then you were like, let me tell you how this actually works. And you were kind of breaking down. This is what the industry is. And I was interviewing you. I think that was the first time I've ever interviewed anybody ever. And uh, and then, yeah, you were like, I'm doing this book tour. This is what's happening. And. You know, and I was like, yeah, I want to go to that. And then only you, because probably you've been in talent acquisition in so many ways for so long, you're like, you just could see something, right? Which most of us, we don't have that eye. You know, it's why you saw the swan and thought of it. And it's why you have picked up, you know, when we were in Miami, we were, it's like, oh, what's up, Gloria Stefan? How are you? We're like, you know, she's like, Nelly. I'm like, I'm dying on the inside. You know, there's all these like Hispanic celebrities. Everybody knows you. And all of them had a story about Nelly, which was like, oh my God, Nelly, remember when you did this for me and Nelly, you did the, and, and I was like, oh, this might be.
1: Because we we went to the people in Espanol event too, right? That's what,
0: right. And the best part about that, you were like. Uh, yeah, just on that red carpet interview people. I'm like, Nellie, I only kind of speak Spanish. And you're like, you're like, fucking do it. So I'm all there talking to all these fast speaking Venezuelans that I could barely understand, trying to ask them sp- questions in Spanish. Hysterical.
1: But I I also thought it was great because, you, you know, people that are successful also take opportunities to show up at places where you don't know Jack, And you absorb everything like a sponge. And that's what you did. I mean, you and I were talking back then about which very different business model than what's happening today and what you're doing today. But the business model back then was you go on tour, you have content, and you get advertisers to Mm -hmm. back you, almost like an athlete. And a lot of that changed. I mean, everything changes every day, right? Now we know we have to pivot every day. But, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, Cody, because... Uh, i was just i was just talking about this in in a, in a podcast that i do by myself for this for this podcast about when you are surrounded by younger people and younger people that are smart that as a mom and as a boss and as a leader you should want all those people to surpass you yes. i feel like i feel like you've surpassed me like i read this and oh, i go hell. i know but I, and i say it with love like because you figured something out that maybe is And also, I'm not at that place in my life. That's okay. 100%. And, and and I think that, you know, we'd all be happier if we know that that's what we, that's what we all should be aspiring to. And that when it happens, you're happy. Look, you're now coming on my podcast and helping me. And that's how it should be. And I think a lot 100%. of times, women don't think like that. And certainly, women of color don't think like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I've realized in life, most people want you to be just a bit less successful than they are. They want you to get real close, but they want you to stay one rung below. And then you find the people who get inspired by others that have problems so big they want to solve that they couldn't even imagine wanting to tackle it. And those people are so rare that when you find them, you know you, you keep them around for life. I was just with this guy, Bill Perkins, yesterday, who's a billionaire and a badass. And he's like, I have screwed up. Mentoring somebody if they don't succeed me, because I only mentor people that I think have something that I don't have and that have the capability to go farther than I do. And it's just like with a kid. Could you imagine wanting your son, who I've met and is adorable, to be less successful than you? No, No. you're like, honey, el presidente, like all of it, (laughs) right? And that's how I think we should feel about friends mentees, all of that in our life, but it's rare. And you, you have it, which is, I mean, otherwise you don't need to do all this, you know, well, you I also, hang I out also and-
1: think that it's important for people to see that when, when you have all these things that are changing daily, these technologies, these things that are not native to someone at a certain age, you have to, you have to understand that younger people should be better at it than you because they grew up with it. And in fact, they can help you figure it out. Um, yep. You know, there's a great saying in Spanish: "Dime con quien andas y te diré quién eres." Tell me who you hang mm. out with, and I'll tell you who you become. Yep. And one of the things that I think we don't talk about en- about enough is that sometimes people have to be nice to people that that are that work for them, and also people that are older than them because. People have different types of intelligence. You don't know which person is going to be a late bloomer, which person seems like they're a little weird and like introverted, and then they're going to blossom. You don't know. And and we should all be surrounding ourselves with people that have the potential of greatness and be better than us. And I think for me, I just really, I, I, I really feel so much a part of your success and I'm so mm-hmm. happy about it, but I want you to tell my listeners, because they're, because they're a very different crowd from yours. What I love about your story too, is that you started out, you went to school, you didn't go to Harvard, Mm -hmm. tell everybody how you started, how you were in a completely different place and how you found your thing, which took a while.
0: Oh yeah. I went to state school, you know, Arizona State, right? So a state school, 60,000 students. I did more partying than I did climbing any sort of corporate ladder or startups. Like I didn't even, I would not have even thought that you could start your own company as an individual. I probably thought you had to get some documentation and paperwork that you weren't allowed to get. It just wasn't something that entered my mind, even though my dad had a lot of his own businesses, but they were always really tiny businesses, you know, really hard work, get your hands dirty kind of things. And so when I went to school, I really thought the peak was you get this huge corporate job and like you, you climb up the corporate ladder and maybe someday you're a mid-manager and then I get to wear those suits and that would be pretty cool. And um, and so that's what I did for like 13 years, you know, I went from Arizona State doing keg stands to uh you know trying to figure out what this thing called money and finance was because I realized I didn't have any of it and I'd like some. My first job made like 37k a year, I think. And um and I got really lucky. I actually went to a, a Latinas and finance event. And that event, I ended up just sitting next to this woman who was a recruiter for Vanguard, a big asset management firm. And uh, I didn't know anything about anything, but I just started asking questions. It's like, what do you do? What is Well, you
1: were a journalist. That's how you started, right? Right.
0: I was a journalist, so I was pretty good at that. So I at least was like oh, you're in security. And I remember looking at her and being like, you don't look that tough. You know, I didn't, I really, I didn't know securities meant finance at the time. And mm-hmm. so um, anyway, I think what she was interested by, and maybe it's th- that's the thing, if you're young and hungry, it's like, are you curious? Do you ask a ton of questions? Do you write things down? Um, you know, do you show that you want to learn more? And that's what we're all looking for, Right. We're looking for the people who ask the questions, ask for more work, ask, you know, for more opportunities to learn things. And so that's what I had. And I um, I interviewed a Vanguard. Somehow I got that job. I was a duck, you know, trying to look graceful above water and paddling like crazy underneath. And then I did that for the next, whatever, seven or 10 years, basically step zoning from Vanguard to Goldman Sachs to State Street to First Trust to running my own business with partners to running my own business entirely by myself. And so um, it took me a decade plus before I was not so scared that I couldn't go out and do my own thing. I was a scaredy cat for most of the time. And, and I was that- I was in hardcore finance when I met you. I mean, I was at I, remember- I was at State Street at the time, running a business that was, I mean, billions of dollars in assets under management. I had a team. You know, I was making a lot of money. I don't know if I was making millions yet, but I was definitely making hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And um, and I still was so hungry to learn more. And so I'm glad I had that.
1: And I remember you were on airplanes all the time and going to Latin America. But the way yep. you presented to me, was very humble, mm. was very much like, I want to learn. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that uh, I think I, these are the things I remember that I think one, somebody on my team called you to say, how much are we going to pay you for coming to Miami and helping Nelly? Because I wanted you to do all the interviews, remember, of all the uh-huh. celebrities. Yep. And uh, and you were like, oh, I don't really care about the money. <laughs> yeah. And and they were, you know, and I was like, yeah, this girl's making more money. <laughs> she, this is like pennies to her, so don't worry about it. And so it just, I just think that people need to hear that, that that's yeah. what successful people, that's how they act. It's not about yeah. nickel and diming. It's about no. experience is what's worth money.
0: No, because I wasn't valuable enough to you um, where money was the thing that I would want out of it. Like the, I, I wasn't really worth much because I was really honest. I'm like, have I ever interviewed? Uh no. You know, like, do I know anything about people in Espanol? No, I can barely speak the language. You know, no, this is not, I'm not going to be a huge value. I'm honest. And then I was like, but God, the learning that I could get from this person, if I can give 10 times before I ever have one ask from Nelly, I bet I can learn so much that like money wouldn't even be able to cover it. And I've always sort of thought that way. And I find the most successful people that I interact with, they almost won't let you give them anything like no 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 because they know that uh that to do so is to kind of to take a favor as opposed to being a giver and rarely a taker actually
1: so from there to now how did your whole contrarian brand i mean you think like a contrarian so i know i know where that happened but how did how did you go from you were traveling to latin america and you were in this whole other business to deciding to do this by yourself and and finally say and cuz I know I've talked to you through the years and you were like yeah. I'm ready to do something on my own what what happened
0: well i mean what happened is exactly what you talk about all the time which people should listen to which is get your own chips and i remember that story um and this is before you were all over the internet with that this was like towards the beginning of your book tour and i remember you telling the story about um you know you were working at a company and you wanted it to run a certain way and they said, sounds good, but you know, this isn't your casino. If, if you want to play the game your way, you got to stop playing with my chips and get your own, right. because if you're going to do it with my chips, you're going to do it my way. Mm-hmm. And it was Nellie, it was the exact same thing. I think at that time that I met you, I hadn't realized yet that I thought I could do my own thing. Um, I was still just curious for life and what I could learn. And about probably a year after that, um, I went and took my first big risk for me, which was I'm going to go from this giant conglomerate State Street. I'd always like stair-stepped bigger. And I went to a smaller firm where I had a much bigger role and they could they could pay me more money. But after about, I think it took me like three years there, three to maybe four years. Um, I wanted to run the Latin America business a certain way. And I was having a lot of success. And I was the only woman uh that was a uh, head of one of the regions. And I was definitely the youngest. And I wanted to, to do it differently. I didn't want to do steak dinners and strip clubs and taking people out and what they did in finance. Um, And the CEO, who I actually respect a lot, which is hard for people to hear these days, because they think when I say, you know, he told me they're like, yeah, fuck him. I'm like, no, no, no. He built a multi-billion dollar company. He has every right to run that exactly how he wants to. And um, one day he took me for a walk on a beach in at the Monarch, actually in um, in Newport. And, uh, and he was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, what do you mean? Making you a lot of money. Like I'm number one. This thing's growing like crazy. What are you talking about? What am I doing here? And at the time I was starting to become a little bit public and it was like ballooning a little bit. And I was starting to get awards and I, my name was starting to be places. And he's like, you know, here we grow the we and not the me and you're growing the, the me. And he's like, we don't do that. We just get rich quietly here. And if you want to stay here, you know, the implication was, and I can't remember the exact words, but you need to stop all this. You need to be like quiet and sort of uh, just focus on the job and and nothing was he
1: meaning that you were online and you were creating a persona online and he didn't. And that's by the way, I'm glad you're bringing that up because that is true of all corporations They don't want you to stand out. The brand is bigger. The brand of the corporation is bigger than any one person.
0: Yeah, which is not wrong, actually. And that's where people get upset. They're like, well, (laughs) you know, they're trying to hold me back. And it's like, well, you know, I get where he's coming from. Because if a member of my team right now was trying to grow their own personal brand, uh, they would really have to explain to me why that was going to help our mission. And it would have to be mission aligned. Otherwise, use your own chips. Don't use mine. So I actually get it, but at the time I was pissed because I was the number one you know, guy or gal. So I'm like, what do you mean? And uh, so anyway, he did me the biggest favor ever, which is that he gave me a shove and he was like, pick, you know, roll with us quietly or go bet on yourself. And uh, and I ended up betting on myself, but it took me the better part of a decade to do it. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's just interesting because you and I, I think I had talked that when I went to run Telemundo, my boss back then said to me, you know, I don't know if I should give you this job. You're kind of a rogue entrepreneur and I need somebody here to watch my back. And at the time I I thought, what a jerk and this and that. But over the years, I look back on it and I thought he was really honest yep. and he was right. Because in the end, I wasn't I wasn't a very good employee <laughs> yep. um, and I really didn't belong in that. I mean, it's I also think it's important that both of us have worked in that corporate environment, because there is a lot you learn in that corporate environment. So I don't want people out there to think that it's just good. You know, I think there is some, a lot of value in experiencing that as well. Oh, But at a certain point you're done. You get, yeah.
0: If you're the type of human who's going to be a builder, nobody will be able to stop you. It will just happen. You won't be able to stop. But I think a lot of people are actually not builders. They just think that because this world today really, uh, idealizes startup founders that they should be one i should be a founder and i'm not sure everybody actually wants to be because no. it can be super miserable
1: um but it's not think, an easy path you no. know it's like what you say about real estate people think it's oh i'm going to buy things and passive income that's not easy either so i think we have to demystify that now back in the day when you were in doing those big finance jobs the kind of investments you were looking at were very different than the yep. investments that you now have in unconditional, uh, you know, acquisition. So how did you make that shift to start this business and start looking at a whole different model for yourself? Yeah. Well,
0: it started from a risk perspective. When you first look at doing deals, the number one rule is don't let a deal ever bankrupt you, right? Because if your first deal goes sideways, you're never going to do a deal again. And so I remembered that rule uh, and Warren Buffett has the adage too, the first rule of investing is don't lose money. The second rule is don't forget new- rule number one. And so um, <laughs> so, so I remember that rule and I said, okay, I'm going to be working a pretty intense 60 hour, 70 hour a week, nine to five, mm-hmm. but I need to start having an exit plan. And I didn't have a brilliant idea for a thing that I wanted to build. And so um, I said, well, maybe what I can do is I can just start stacking up some income streams so that When I eventually get pushed out or when I eventually want to leave, I have a cushion, you know, and I don't have to fall to the floor. I do not believe that you have to have slept on couches and floors and worked out of garages to be really successful. And I think that's a fake ism that we have in the world. And instead, you probably just should go work for a corporation and let other people invest in you for a period and pay them back with your work and get an MBA that is paid for by a company.
1: That's right. I agree (laughs) Um,
0: with that. And so I actually think that was really, really beneficial. But at this one point, I was like, what could I invest in as a business that wouldn't take much time? And so that's why I started with these little boring businesses, because I was like, well, a laundromat, like you can't really grow a laundromat to millions of dollars in revenue. And you, don't, you can't really have that many employees. and It's a pretty straightforward business. So could I have a laundromat as one of my first acquisitions? And because it's pretty straightforward, it's not that expensive, so I can't bankrupt myself, I can learn on these small de- deals. And then I can stack them up over time so that when I'm ready or when I get pushed out, I have a backup plan.
1: It's also not grandiose. I think one of the things that's happened in sort of the entrepreneur uh, sort of world is that people get very into their ego about what is it that you're doing. And really, business is really about getting your ego out of the way. Yep. And what I love about a laundromat is that it's not glamorous. It's not grandiose. It's a laundromat. Yep. Yeah. 100%. And t- talk about other ones like that that you started looking at. Well, I
0: really like to learn on other people's dimes. So if you look at Warren Buffett's story, Warren Buffett started, which I have in my office, if you looked over there, you can see I always keep in my office a gumball machine to remind me that one of the richest men in the world who has had the least risk throughout his life through sort of stacking of income streams started with a gum- one gumball machine and then a gumball route. And he wasn't egotistical about how he made money. He knew what those of us who run businesses know, which is there is no difference between a laundromat and a social media app. Why? Because they all have six functions. Every business has sales. Every business has product. Every business has marketing. Every business has admin. Every business has operations. And every business has some form of distribution. And once you realize, you realize it's all widgets. Every business is just a different widget that you place in and out. And most people think I'm so over show business because show business is a terrible business. I'm so over um, finance because finance is a terrible business. Well, in actuality, you're just over the role that you have in that industry because all businesses are really the same at the top. So for me, I was actually over sales. I had done a hand to hand combat sales, building out my investment business for a long time. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. So I thought, fuck finance. Finance is the worst. And now that I run my own business, I'm like, God, I look at more P&Ls and do more analysis than I ever have. But I run a media business. Um, But I just don't have that sales aspect that I don't like. And so I don't really do much hand-to-hand combat sales anymore because I've done it for a long time. I'm kind of over it. And so um, I think that that's really key. If people can leave here realizing that you do not have to sleep on your floor and build an empire in order to be happy. In fact, look at the 10 richest men in the world. If you look at the, a list of the 10 of them, they have 13 divorces between them. There are only two of them that have not have a, had a divorce ever. And you and I have both had them, so we know how fun those are. And so, you know, it's, it's really tough building an empire um, and you sacrifice a lot. And so I think most people actually would be much happier having their their expenses covered, being able to see their kids play baseball on the weekends, and being able to know that they can't get fired and then lose everything because they have no other income streams. And it's not as sexy for me to say that, but I believe it's true. And that's why I think we all should have little pieces of skin in the game. Maybe you are still an employee actually for your whole life, but you also own a little laundromat. You also own, you know, a little rental unit. And so nobody ever owns you entirely.
1: And I think that's imp- specifically important for women who, yeah. you know, sometimes stay in marriages or stay in a in a bad boss situation because you feel like deep inside, as much as you want to be economically independent, you still aren't. It always shocks me how many women are not economically independent. And, you know, I, I always say, listen, God knows I don't know everything because God knows I've also had, you know, as you and I have both had issues in, in our past, in our personal life, but the truth is the one thing I never say I would undo or that I would do different is the fact that I'm economically independent because freedom is, it's not even about the money. It's about the freedom to make decisions. And that's what I, I, I love it. Cause you talk about that a lot. I, I think what's at stake for all of us, really, if we, if we peel the onion, it's not even money, it's freedom. And the value of freedom.
0: Absolutely. You know, um, the biggest reason why I accumulate a bank account so big that money at some point becomes sort of irrelevant, it's not part of day-to-day conversation, is because then when there are decisions that I'm facing, we have ultimate optionality like there's probably very little at this point that you can't buy or do if you need to like do you need to go buy 47 yachts yeah we probably both can't do that but like most daily interactions we get to remove that everyday feeling of is my checking account going to bounce survival. and i i remember that mm-hmm. i remember I like going up to the cashier and that feeling when you hand them the card And they swipe it, and the little beep sounds. And the beep means that your debit card isn't going through. But my immediate reaction back in the day would be, Oh, shoot, I must have not activated that card. Let me, I probably have cash, and then I, you know, have to pay cash for it. But I would know on the inside that I was out of cash. Right. And so I remember that. And I remembered those little late fees. And I think a lot of us who have been through difficulty have PTSD for those moments where the money ran dry. And I had a belief that I never wanted to do that again. Now, the spoiler is, I would be curious your take on this. At some point, it doesn't go away. Like no matter how many zeros are in the bank account, you keep it. It doesn't go away.
1: Well, and and Cody, I think it's even worse for people that are immigrants. Oh yeah. Uh, because there are, you know, and we have to honor that there are situations where good people that did all the right things have to leave their country and lose everything and have to yep. start all over again. You know, I'm witnessing it in Miami now with Venezuelans, right? And and those things are real, and it is it is a bitch to have to start all over again for anybody, right? But we all carry that PTSD, and it comes from way back, maybe generational PTSD, right? Um, but I think that the what I tell other women, especially who, who who always say this, is what the way out of it is to actually look at your bank account. <laughs> yeah, and it is a beautiful thing to know that. Um, math doesn't lie. Right. Yeah. And I've gone through periods of my life. I remember when I became a single mom. And I i don't know, I had like a, a panic attack, it must have been hormonal. And I said to a girlfriend of mine, I can't raise this kid by myself. I can't do it. And she's like, let's take out your bank account. Let's write down exactly how much money you have. She's like, what you're saying is not true.
0: Mm. Look
1: at this. And you know, and I think that that Learning to look at your bank account grow. And when I say bank account, it doesn't mean all in cash either, right? Like, I think it's a beautiful thing that is like very self-esteem building, but that PTSD never goes away. And I'm happy it never goes away because it keeps us hungry. It's the same reason you want, you've talked about this a lot too on your, on your podcast and all the, all the other things you go on that you've said, when you go to do a deal with a company, you want the founder to be hungry. You don't oh, want to give the founder all the money up front. Um, no and I, you know, I always want to be a little hungry and a little, like, I still have to make money and I still have to do it. As you get older, you also, I'm in a different place of in life than you are, where I also want to enjoy some of the money because what's the point, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was saying to my husband last night, I'm like, you know, the thing about- building is a cool thing happens at some point when you get out of that pure survival mode you i think a lot of us realize oh i'm pretty happy with like a decent glass of red a couple candles from home goods and like an awesome book on friday night like actually i don't want the flashy helicopters mclarens whatever like i don't actually care that much about that like (sighs) kind of nice stuff nothing that nutty and um and so that it actually becomes about the game and I think there are two things that nobody can ever take away from you. One is if you stack a set of skills, those skills can be transferred across country lines. Total. And immigrants, we know that because guess what? If you were a business person and you were located in Venezuela and you it wasn't generational wealth, but you built that bad boy and you acquired all the skills to do that. I'm going to bet on you coming to Miami and being successful building up that business all Absolutely. over again. Now, if you were a doctor in Venezuela and those credentials don't transfer to Miami, then you're going to have to go all the way back through school for somebody to give you permission again to do the things that that's you right. already know how to do. And, that's and so I am really big on us telling women, like, before you invest in anything, invest in a set of skills so transferable that no matter what country they set you down in, you go, yeah, I'm going to be a millionaire again. It's fine. I'll learn the language, but I already know the language of money. And then the second thing they usually can't take all the way away from you is diversified assets. So if you have that bank account and that bank account is intelligently located in multiple different places and you got some houses in LA and you got some houses in Miami and you've got a little bit of Bitcoin and you got a little bit of that, then at some point you become pretty unfuckwithable. (laughs) And that's always been something of interest to me because at any point to anybody, I want to be able to say,
1: yeah, no fucking thank you. I'm out. Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. Let's get back to the show. Now, when you say contrarian thinking, what what exactly do you mean by that? Do you mean that you're thinking different from everybody else in that idea of picking businesses that nobody's looking at? Or do you also mean, because I've heard you say on online things like, I hate, you know, this whole passive income thing is BS because people, and it's true. I was just having this conversation with my stepson because he goes, I want to have passive income. And I go, passive income doesn't mean you don't do anything. It means you have to work a lot to get that passive income. And I, I love that you say that too. So tell me about your contrarian brand.
0: Yeah. Well, the idea is that in 2020, I thought a lot of people, uh, a lot of humans had lost their minds and they had given the ability to think to others, which is a really dangerous proposition to have. I think when you listen to anybody, you should question everybody, including us. Question everything, test for assumptions. I like to take ideas in my head and I like to hold both sides of them and roll them around and think, does this feel real to me? And that ability of being able to take an idea unemotionally, stick it in your brain and go, huh, what do I, what do I as a human think about this? Not what am I told, not even what do the numbers say, but what could the numbers not be saying? And so contrarian thinking is like, nope, pause, let me think about it without emotion. And if I can do that, you can make a ton of money and you can also have a happier life not influenced by rage porn all the time.
1: So we have to be really careful who we're listening to and we have to have judgment about it. And we have to be critical thinkers is what I'm hearing you say.
0: A 100%.
1: Let's talk a little bit about real estate. Since you know, in my book, I said, don't buy shoes, buy buildings, which you always love love that saying. And I still believe it. But I guess I wasn't prepared for 2020. Mm. And the fact that coming, talk about PTSD, coming from a communist regime in Cuba, and then ending up in California, where the governor says to everybody, don't pay the rent across the board. So I, who you know, own a lot of commercial buildings and I have multi-millionaire companies in my buildings, did not pay the rent and I had to float them for a number of years. And that was shocking to me because in my worldview, I really did not, again, even though I had come from that, a country where your property was taken away from you, I was not prepared for somebody saying, don't pay the rent and it's okay. And by the way, and now I'm renting and and, and the laws are now, if they never want to leave, they don't have to leave, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, And and so let's talk about that because I think everybody, even me, said to people, don't buy shoes, buy buildings. But the truth is that in all, all types of business, there are cautionary tales, right?
0: Yeah. 100%. Well, and the truth of business is there's no such thing as a free lunch and risk will always be involved. The beautiful part about that is that when you realize that, you try to go back to rule number one of Warren Buffett's, which is don't lose money. And the best way to not lose money is to not go to a horse race and bet everything on one horse. It's to make a lot less money Uh, If you win, but to spread the earnings across multiple smart bets that you have some ability to affect the outcome. And it's really funny because right now on the internet, it's become fashionable to say you should focus on one thing. If you have one thing and you go all in, and the truth of the matter is, that means if that one thing doesn't work, if you get sued, if you get shut down, if the govern- government changes a rule, then your entire focus, you now have nothing to speak for. And I just, I don't operate like that. I do not like things that are that level of risky. And so I got really lucky when I was at State Street. I ran a business uh, for them or part was part of a business that I was running and it uh, was completely killed by government intervention. It was called money market funds. And they essentially changed the legality of this, where this business that had hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in assets under management uh, was killed overnight, basically, by the government making a change. And I saw that early in my career. And that's why I eventually went to Georgetown, because I went, oh, wait a second. I don't understand the game fully. I thought I understood the game of business, which is I bring in more clients. I provide better services. I get pricing right. i beat off my competitors. I hire better. Okay, that's business. And then I realized, oh, no, there's this asymmetric risk, meaning like a risk that you can have an unsized huge risk that you don't realize that is the government. And the government in every scenario beats all strategy and plan. And every single type of business has government risk. But we don't think about it because we don't see it every day. And these are the black swans that Nicholas Nassim Taleb talked about in his book that's kind of hard to read, but worth it. And and so that's why I push really hard for people to have multiple different types of businesses, for those businesses to be in varying sectors and locations. And even if they're not your main thing, for you to diversify some of your risk in other areas. Now, the truth of the matter is, who could have guessed? that the government would have done some of the crazy shit they did in 2020. Like I I wouldn't have guessed. I would have never thought that they would say you can just not pay rent and the people would applaud because what I think the government is doing today, and it's not this big nefarious thing that's trying to screw everybody, but it's, it's a, a thing that's trying to stay alive and stay in power, is they're trying to pin the owners – versus the employees or the renters. So let's call them renters, whether they're renting a job or they're renting some sort of asset. They're trying to pin the owners versus the renters. And they're trying to say, these two are battling and the owners are greedy in every single situation and the renters are downtrodden. And why would they want to do that? Because if they do that, then you don't pay attention to the real problem, which is the government trying to have constructs to stay alive. And if they pin owners versus renters, then guess what? Renters never want to become owners because then the government takes care of everything. And why would you want to be an owner if they're bad? And so why would you want to be a rich person if a rich person is bad? And in reality, we're supposed Mm to Have pit stops in renting on our way to ownership in every aspect of our life. That is what you are supposed to do. And so the government or anybody who tells you that owners are bad or rich people are bad, you should immediately raise a red flag and know that you cannot trust that person because what they are saying is that you should never be an owner because owners are bad and you should always be a renter and the only person you can trust is the government. And so that's probably why you're now in Florida, I'm in Texas, because... We need to be in places where those on high can't control our outcome, where we can.
1: Well, the other thing that's been shocking to me, and I'm really, I've done a deep dive into taxes. I've been blessed to meet incredible people that are sort of looking at all the, I mean, the tax laws, I don't think Americans understand that in the since 2020, the tax laws have changed dramatically. And yeah. that even our CPAs don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Like we think we're going in, and doing our taxes and they can't possibly keep up with the changes in the tax laws. And to me, that's the new holy grail is to figure out the tax laws. Because since we don't know, it's not democratized for us to understand it. We're not taking full advantage uh, for our businesses of what we should be, you know, what we could do. Oh, if we're yeah. not really following the government's lead and we don't know that in terms of what they're investing in that they're going, we're not, we're not doing well.
0: Yeah. Well, you you actually told me something that I quoted you many times on years ago, which is you were like, every year, at least for many years, I read the tax code. It's long. It's awful. But I read it. And the stuff I don't understand, I bring to my accountant. And you're like, that's how I bought the G wagon. And, you know, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, we were we were at the like Mr. Chow's or something in, uh, in Hollywood when you told me that, and I was like, God, yes, that's so smart. Of course, the miserable, boring work is usually the work where all the money lies the more boring the more they know you the average person won't do it and so they the non-average get to take advantage but the one of the smartest moves i ever did is you get two different types of accountants that's when you know people actually understand money as they start to talk taxes if they just start making it they've never really made enough of it to understand and so i think it's important that people listen to you that you need to have tax strategy and then you have tax execution tax strategy is starting January 1st, we will make money this year. Because of that, what will we do proactively from January 1st until December 31st to make sure that we get to keep as much of the money we make as possible? What most people do is they go, January 1st, I'm going to make money. And for the rest of the year, I'm just going to like do whatever. And then as the end of year comes and we start preparing for tax payments in April or whatever month we end up paying our taxes in, um, we're just going to figure out what we owe. and. There should be more of the former and less of the latter, but that's not what we're taught.
1: Well, what's interesting though is, and you know, I always felt, thank you for saying the whole thing about taxes, because I always felt like that. I was goaded around taxes, right? And yet when they start changing every law in January, then in February, then in March, then in April, and you can see why even the CPAs are like, what the hell, you know? So, you know, I'm now deep diving in that because I realize there's about to be 600 more tax changes. And in the end, you're right, the people that really know, start that process in January. Actually, it's taxes first. And that is the big secret in America is that you really have to align with where the government is going to give you the incentives. And if you don't, you're missing, it's like, It's like leaving all the money on the table that you didn't need to leave because it's perfectly legal. I remember when I'm sitting in my office with all the youngins in my office and they were watching TV and it was when Donald Trump was president and they were saying, Donald Trump was saying, they were saying he didn't pay taxes and they're like, you see, he doesn't pay taxes. I said, you can be mad at him for other things, but not for that because he's actually doing that legally. And they, you know, and I was explaining to them how the richest people in America... Don't pay tax because they understand the way it works. They're creating yep. jobs. They're creating opportunities. And it's it, it just boggles my mind.
0: The more successful you get, I think you, the more you start to see behind the curtain. And you don't want to focus on this stuff that you can't control, but you do want to be thoughtful about where am I setting up my business? How am I setting up my business in the most tax efficient manner? How am I decreasing my risk as often as possible? Because- one day you will go from renter to owner to empire builder, and as you climb that ladder, you'll start to see that most of the things you were told along the way were not true, and gotcha. then your eyes will always look back. Yeah, and then you can't go back.
1: Cody, are you feeling positive about this country and what's coming?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Or,
1: not. or are you are you questioning? I'm,
0: a, I'm an eternal optimist. I'm a uh, glass is full all the way of oxygen and water type of human. And so I think in every situation, there will be opportunity amidst the chaos. I do think that it is in our hands. Like if somebody's listening right now, it is in your hands to become one of the few who do not the many who talk. And so that's part of our mission is that we want to create more owners because I believe that we should not have the the fate of our country in the hands of the few, including me. Like you and I are kind of the same. You could have built, you could have gone and raised money and and had a portfolio of hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate, but you were like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna create a nice empire for myself and my family and then I'm gonna teach the next generation what I know. And I'm sort of the same way. I'm like, I have an empire I'm continuing to build and want to build, but I actually don't want to be KKR or Carlisle owning every single small business in the US. I wanna own the businesses that enable... The neighbors around a neighborhood own the businesses that they uh, live near. I think that makes way more sense, and so it's not that I'm not greedy; I am, but I do think that our country needs more people willing to share than not. And it's it goes so deep, you know. I, I joke about it on Twitter with my team because people will be like, "Well, if you really owned all these businesses, you wouldn't be talking online about you know how to own businesses, and you wouldn't have communities to do it." And I'm like, you know, actually. I'd make way more money if I went and raised capital quietly just from the really, really rich people who, by the way, you're more protected against because they can't sue you as easily as if you go out and you're public like we are. There's a lot of risk to doing this. And so what I did before, I'd make way more money. Just have a nice private equity firm, billion dollars under management, buy a ton of businesses, sell it for a couple billion and go hang out on my yacht. I make, you know, I make way more money, but I don't think it's the right thing to do. And I don't want private equity owner on my tombstone. I want, I want that I was able to create a thousand truly free humans and a hundred thousand small business owners. And that's where I'm going to start at least.
1: And, and is that where you're going to, where you're still headed or are there even bigger plans for Cody Sanchez?
0: I think that's the goal. You know, they say when you write a book, you know, I'm writing a book right now and um, it'll come out next year, that you should really write it to one person. And so I have, you know, I've written this book to one person. And if it really influences a thousand people to become owners and the master of their fate, I'll feel like I did a pretty good job. And um, I do believe like the Jordan Petersonism, which is if you want to change the world, start by cleaning up your room.
1: That's right. And
0: so that's where I want to start. And if we can go bigger than that, then I'm thrilled. And, you know, you know me, we both work like psychopaths. So I work a lot to have huge plans. But at the end of the day, if a thousand people's lives are changed by this book and what we're doing, then I will feel very, I'll feel very satiated.
1: Well, Cody, I could talk to you for 20 hours. As Same. as I said, when I started, I am beyond proud of you. I think you. you're just incredible. And we're going to be friends for life as we have been. So... I send you all my love and I'm just so happy to have spent this hour with you.
0: Yeah. You can't get rid of me now, you know, (laughs) too late, way too late. This was amazing. And I'm so proud of you. And I just, you know, it's, I I mean it like there aren't very many humans in general that will pull other people up like you have. And, uh, I'm just glad I got to be in your orbit, you know?
1: Moneymaker is a production of money news network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nellie Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.